blame pain game. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And um, yeah, we've been talking about this whole power of story and God's desire to make things new. And we're going to start looking at some, well, we've been starting really looking at some real practical things that are helpful in rewriting our stories. Last time I was talking about the whole why idea. But before I get into it, I just want to pray. Because I think when I talk this morning, some of you might have some big arguments in your head. And I just want to pray that the Spirit of God breaks through those arguments. Father, I want to thank you. You said, Jesus, many times, to him who has ears, let him hear. And Father, we have ears, Lord, but we want the ears of our spirit to be open this morning, Father. We want to be able to hear your voice, Father, not my voice, Father. We're listening to you, Father. Through me, Father, but we're listening to you and your voice. And we're asking, Father, Lord, just as I speak, Lord, that your words would just cut down those arguments, Father, that are in our minds, Lord. I realise this morning I might say some things that we initially go, no, I'm not sure that's true, but Father, I ask that you would help us submit to your words over us, Father. Submit to what you say. Submit to your heart, Father. And I'm asking, Father, that for many of us there might be a breakthrough moment this morning, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so that's what you've got to do as I get into it. I'll be saying some things and some of you will be fighting it. But you've got to just go, okay, no, I agree. Some of you might even have to just go, no, I agree with that. Because I'm just telling you the heart of God for you, okay? It's the heart of God for you this morning. Well, it's always the heart of God for you. I don't know what it will last week, but... (laughs) (laughs) But we've been looking at these specific practical ways. So this week, we're going to explore one thing that we might need to stop doing, that we do need to stop doing, and one thing we'll need to start doing if we're going to rewrite our story. One thing we're going to stop and one thing we're going to start in order to rewrite our story. And um, last week I shared God's always present, but it's not easy to see him. Remember we had where's, where's Wally up? And finding God is a bit like trying to hunt for him on each page. But he's always, always there. Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not. The truth is God is on every page of your life, no matter what. And just because you can't see him don't mean to say he's not there. In the same way that, you know, it's like the sun on a cloudy day. We, th- we say things like the sun's gone in. Well, the sun ain't gone in, has it? It's just obscured. And even in a pitch black, the sun's there. It's just it's obscured by the fact you're on the wrong side of the earth. The sun's always out. You just can't always see it. And it's exactly the same with the Father. He's always there. He's always around. He's always present. Whether you can see him or not is something different. I quoted the Reverend Reuben Welsh who said, With God, even when nothing is happening, something is happening. Even when nothing is happening, something's happening. And then we talked about the why question. We said that human perception sometimes poses questions the mind is incapable of answering. But just because you haven't found a valid answer doesn't mean that one exists. And we basically said that perhaps a good answer to many of those whys is I don't know and that's okay. And it brings incredible peace in all sorts. So if you can learn to live with that mantra about certain things, I don't know and that's okay, it brings incredible release and peace. Of course, there are some things you have to find out and work out, but there are some things you're just not going to know. And that's okay. Because in the end, we get there down this cul-de-sac, believing that if we could just understand a little bit better, everything would be all right. If I could work out why this was going on, it would all be all right. But the truth is, even when you know why, it doesn't really help. You don't get the healing, the joy, and the peace that you were actually hunting for. That's the reality of it. There are some things we won't know. Some things we won't understand because we are human beings and God is God. We are the created 
and he's the creator. Our mind is not all conquering, we are not all knowing and all seeing, but he is. That's the reality of it. And so this morning I, want to get, I wanted to kind of pull you out of another cul-de-sac that people get stuck in. And we're going to start in Genesis in chapter 2. Because uh, I just, such a wonderful passage, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, verses 8 to 13. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they heard from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to Adam, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He said, I told you you were naked. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. The Lord God said to the woman, what's this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. You realise the blame game's been going on there from the very beginning. All right, it was somebody else's fault, God, because the woman you put here with me, in other words, it's your fault. If you hadn't put this woman here, it'd have all been all right, God. <laughs> and she goes, well, if you hadn't put this snake here, whatever that was, it'd have all been all right. So neither of them even answered the question, did you do this? They don't, they, don't, they don't admit fault, all that sort of stuff. I want to show you a video. How many of you are blamers? How many of you, when something goes wrong, the first thing you want to know is whose fault it is? Hi, my name is Brene. I am a blamer. Let <laughs> me just tell you this quick story. So this is a couple years ago when I first realized the magnitude to which I blame. I'm in my house. I have on white slacks and a pink sweater set. And I'm drinking a cup of coffee in my kitchen. It's a full cup of coffee. I drop it on the tile floor. It goes into a million pieces, splashes up all over me. And the first, I mean, a millisecond after it hit the floor, right out of my mouth is this. Damn you, Steve. <laughs> Who's my husband? Because let me tell you how fast this works for me. So Steve plays water polo with a group of friends. And the night before, he went to go play water polo. And I said, hey, make sure you come back at 10, because you know, I can never fall asleep into your home. And he got back like at 10.30. And so I went to bed a little bit later than I thought. Ergo, my second cup of coffee that I probably would not be having had he come home when we discussed. Therefore, and so the rest of that story is I'm cleaning up um, the kitchen. Steve calls, caller ID. I'm like, hey. He's like, hey, what's going on, babe? <laughs> what's going on? Um, <laughs> So I'll tell you exactly what's going on. I'm cleaning up the coffee that spilled all, like dial tone. Because he knows. How many of you go to that place when something bad happens, the first thing you want to know is whose fault is it? I'd rather it be my fault than no one's fault. Because why? Why? Because it gives us some semblance of control. But here, if you enjoy blaming, this is where you should stick your fingers in your ear and do the na 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 thing because I'm getting ready to ruin it for you. Because here's what we know from the research. Blame is simply the discharging of discomfort and pain. It has an inverse relationship with accountability. Accountability, by definition, is a vulnerable process. It means me calling you and saying, hey, my feelings were really hurt about this and talking. It's not blaming. Blaming is simply a way that we discharge anger. People who blame a lot 
seldom have the tenacity and grit to actually hold people accountable because we expend all of our energy raging for 15 seconds and figuring out whose fault something is. And blaming is very corrosive in relationships, and it's one of the reasons we miss our opportunities for empathy. Because when something happens and we're hearing a story, we're not really listening. We're in the place where I was, making the connections as quickly as we can about whose fault something was. It seems that most of us are hardwired to assign fault. There's something in our kind of bones that wants to know, that, that wants to very quickly look to assign the blame. When we are hurt, we want to understand why and we want to know who was at fault, who caused this. But what's interesting is that that's not really the question you're asking. Because underneath the question who caused this is a deeper question, who's gonna pay the price for it? Because really somebody's got to pay, you've been hurt and you want somebody to pay. If you think about it, that's why car insurance works. The whole point of any sort of insurance if you have an accident, somebody's got to work out whose fault is. But they don't really want to know whose fault is. They want to know whose fault is because they want to know whether they can prosecute somebody. Or they want to know who's going to pay the bill. In other words, there's a, who's going to pay the price for this thing? That's really the question when we're talking about blaming. We're not talking about shuffle. It's more a deeper question of who's going to pay the bill? Who's going to pay the price for this thing? And I want you to remember that as I go through. It's not really about whose fault is. It's more about who's going to pay the price. And what's fascinating about blame is that whenever anything goes wrong, our desire to find fault is very strong. Or is that just me? No. We want to know, don't we, whose fault is. Most of us, we, we're quick to know, well, well who, who got this wrong? Where did it go wrong? And that, even in, no. And, and I blame somebody. You see, there's many answers to that question. Some, some are healthy, some are not. But to blame someone means to hold someone responsible to assign fault to someone or something. And a lot of the time, blaming other people or God, which is something we do when we can't find anybody else to blame, because it must be somebody's fault, is really a way of deflecting from ourselves. It's a way of putting it on somebody else. And we don't want to admit that we might have something different. We don't want to admit that we might be wrong. And actually, as she said in that video, it's just an expression of the discomfort and the pain that we feel because of the hurt. We just want to vomit it over somebody else and pin it on somebody else. Somebody's got to be at fault. Somebody's got to pay. So who can I find that's going to pay for this thing? That's why blame has an inverse relationship with accountability, which just means they're opposite ends of the scale. If we can blame somebody else, anybody else, we don't have to admit that we could have done something different. Now, I realize there are some scenarios where we are purely victims of somebody else's evil. There are traumatic times when something happens against our will. Let's take this example. You go to cross a road at a traffic light, so you press the button, you wait till the button goes green, you see the cars coming to a stop, and you walk across the road. Are you at fault if somebody hits you there? No, of course you're not. You've done everything right. You've done everything right. Now, you just crossed the road with your headphones on like this. Well, maybe you might want to assign some blame to yourself. But there are examples in life where actually you are not at fault. But there are other examples where you might be at fault. I'm going to keep exploring it, okay? What's fascinating is even in a scenario like the first one, even in a scenario where you've kind of, you've waited, you've pressed the button, the man's gone green, the traffic stopped, and then some idiot comes flying past. Even in that scenario, many people will still blame themselves. Many people, even though logically and rationally you can tell them what happened and what they did, 
they will still think they were part of the problem. You would be amazed, for example, how many people who were hurt by an adult in their childhood or teenage years and blame themselves for the hurt and pain that was done with them. And I have yet to hear a story, and I've heard plenty, sadly, where the fault lay with the child. And everyone I have spoken to who's been in those situations blames themselves. We all blame people. It's hardwired into us. So the question is really not, not do we blame? No, we do. But who, who do we place the blame on? Some people default to blaming themselves. Others default to blaming everyone around them, like the video in the video. And others, where there doesn't seem to be anyone to blame, blame God. Because, again, there must be somebody we can pin it on. So let's explore some of these things. Let's go to Romans 12, verses 17 to 18. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So we've said we are this sense of law, of right, our wrong. And when our, when our law is broken, we're wired to look for justice, for somebody to responsible. But Paul says here we're instructed to live at peace with everybody. Well, it's not possible to live at peace with everybody if you're throwing blame around. It's just not possible. How many of you had a good, fruitful argument which starts with, it's your fault, no, it's your fault? Anybody had those arguments where, you know, it all ends up wonderful at the end when it starts like that? No, because blaming people doesn't get you anywhere. That's the reality. Blame builds walls between us. It's why it's corrosive in relationships. Throwing blame around is literally like throwing stones and building a wall between you and the person you are blaming. Because it's all your pain and discomfort and hurt chucking out there. And it's not just the person you're blaming, but actually you know if you've been around people who throw blame everywhere, actually they're not the most fun people to be around at times. And of course, for lots of people, they don't know a different way. Until they've been taught a different way, they can't do any different. So if you don't know, if you go, well, that might be me, well, that's okay, but keep listening, because there's a different way to live. There's a more healthier way to live, a more fruitful way to live, a more beautiful way to live. As, as the video said, blame's an expression of the pain and hurt we feel, and it's a picture of what we do with the pain we feel. We've got that next one there. You see, we can either blame others, which is pain back. That's what you're doing. You're just passing all this pain back. When you've been hurt, you want to get rid of it. You want to pass it on to somebody else. We don't carry it, so instead we give it back where it came from. Only often we add more pain and hurt onto it. And, and we pass it in all sorts of forms, but, but often part of the blame is like we want somewhere in there, we want some sort of revenge. We want them to pay a price for it. We want them to know how much they hurt us and it was their fault and, and it's like it has this incredibly corrosive impact. And revenge can come in all sorts of obvious forms, but there are loads of subtle ways that we want to kind of let people know that they've hurt us. A subtle comment, a cold shoulder, some gossip, a refusal to acknowledge someone in the room, a refusal to reply to a text message, a Facebook defriend. How many of you know that just not being acknowledged can be so painful? She blanked me. Painful. Painful. We often think of revenge as active, as something we want to do to someone. When we, when we want to blame people, we want to pay them a price. We, we might call it active revenge. But actually, there's a form of passage, passive revenge. Often, we, we kind of blame somebody and we go, no, no, it's all right. But actually, sometimes what we do is we, we surrender our need for revenge, but we still secretly hope disaster will come their way. It's like, oh, no, I'm all right with them, but if they got hit by a bus, that'd be good. <laughs> yeah, not quite there. 
But we kind of, because that's, we think that's kind of better than wanting to drive the bus over them, we think that it's kind of better if somebody else drove the bus, that'd be okay. And, you know, we've moved on, haven't we? We're doing good. Like, you know, as long as I can be a passenger on the top deck and watch, that's okay. It's true. You're laughing because you know it's true. But Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And spending time asking God to bless them and longing for goodness to overflow with them, well, that's, we're still on the bus. But the issue is, if we can't pray for good things to happen, if we can't wish good things to come on people, it means we are secretly hoping that somebody else will make them pay the price. Yeah. You see, full, complete healing comes when those people have hurt you and pained you, you only want good things for them. That's the mark of a truly mature relationship. And most people don't go there because they don't understand what I'm teaching you, they don't do what I'm going to teach you to do. But actually, when people have hurt you and you can pray and celebrate when they do well, that means you've been healed. And that's where God wants to take you. Yeah. And if you think you're in a great relationship, but you can't celebrate their good things, it's not as great as you think it is. And there's still an issue between you. If we're not wanting good things to come with them, it's almost like we're seeking passive revenge. We're not, we're not looking to cause them pain, but if pain would come their way, that'd be good. Others of us, of course, tend to blame ourselves, which is a revenge of sorts. We believe we are to blame, which means we must pay the price. So we indulge in all sorts of self-harming behaviour, and, and, and not necessarily physical, although that can be part of it, but actually we indulge in lots of mental self-harm. See, there's physical self-harm and then there's mental self-harm. Mental self-harm is when you start to believe all sorts of things about yourself that the Father doesn't say. And just because it doesn't involve scars on your body, don't mean to say it doesn't scar your soul. It's fascinating, this stuff. You know, lots of us... If I were... And I'm not going to, so don't worry. <laughs> if I were you ask, is anybody self-harmed, most people wouldn't put their hands up. But when I talk about mentally self-harming, we'd all have to put our hands up. Because we've all believed some things that are not true that the Father says about us. Which is why you can never look down on anybody else. It's just a different expression. They just got hit a lot harder than you. But we believe somehow, that those of us who blame ourselves, it's like we believe the wound is who we are. The pain that caused us was because we were somehow broken. We deserved it. It was our fault. We couldn't believe that the pain we were caused or the words and actions committed against us somehow define us. We couldn't believe this thing that was done to us, the words that were said, that, that, that was not done or not said. It's like a, a statement about our value and our purpose. And we internalise it. And we end up hurting ourselves because we believe we have to pay the price. You see, you can play the blame game and you can throw it around and you can blame anyone you want. You can blame yourself, God, anybody else. But there's a bigger question to be asked very similar to the question I asked last week. When you've worked out who to blame, when you've worked out whose fault is, is that the end of it? You know, think of these bloody Sunday inquiries, whatever you, in Northern Ireland, whatever you think about it. If that soldier who got charged with murder this week, if, if he gets prosecuted, will the family suddenly feel better? Will it bring peace? It might bring what they believe is justice, but will it bring peace? No. Does he need to get charged for them to have peace, no. No, they could have had peace 20 years ago if they'd have understood some of this stuff. Peace is possible. I'm going to show you why. Peace is possible whether justice gets served or not because peace is in yours and God's hands. It's not in anybody else's hands. 
peace is not dependent on justice being done. Peace is dependent on the Father who's already done it for you. Does finding someone to blame bring you the peace, joy and love you are looking for? No, it does not. Which is why it's the same cul-de-sac as the why. Because you just get stuck there. You get stuck there and you don't find that the peace and the healing and the life that you actually want and need and are looking for. Maybe we could play a different game. Next slide. To live in community is to learn how to forgive and to learn how to be forgiven. And lots of times when we do this, we think about other people, but, but for some of you, many of you actually, I want you to focus on yourself when I'm talking about this. And God. Because if you blame God or yourself, you have to forgive God or yourself. That's the issue. And I've done this before, but I'm going to go through it again, because it's really, re in fact, I thought I'd done it recently. It was actually the end of 2016 I last shared this stuff. So I was like, okay, maybe it's time to do it again then. But I'm praying you're going to, even if you've heard it a few times, you're going to get some whole fresh insight into it. And you've been hurt in between last time anyway, so. So let me be clear about this. Have you got those? Oh, there we go. So Henry Newman said that. Next one. To forgive somebody is not to condone. Condone basically means to say that what they did was okay. Listen, if somebody hurt you, it's not okay. But to forgive them don't mean to say, oh yeah, that, that were all right what they did. No, no, it's completely separate. To forgive somebody is not to say that it was okay. To forgive somebody, it's a completely different issue as to whether what happened was right or wrong or should or shouldn't have happened. Forgiveness is not condoning. Forgiveness is about being set free. Forgiveness is not forgetting. God does not forget. He chooses not to remember. Which might seem the same thing, but it's slightly different. God does not forget. It says in Jeremiah 31 34, I'll forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. It's not like we pretend it didn't happen. It's not like that didn't happen. It's not like we're going to whitewash the episode of our lives or we're going to redact it somehow. No, no, it was there and it happened. And forgiving them doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means I'm going to find some freedom and some healing and some peace and some joy. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. In other words, some people are toxic, they're simply not good for us. And perhaps reconciliation is not good for us. Forgiveness does not mean that things automatically go back to how they were. People think if I forgive somebody, that means I've got to renew my relationship with them. No, it doesn't. Not if they're toxic and harmful and hurtful and abusive. No, it doesn't. You should probably stay well aware. But that doesn't neither mean that you should not forgive them for what happened. Forgiveness doesn't mean you'll go straight back into business together. It doesn't mean you'll lend some money again. It doesn't mean you'll spend the time with them that you used to. It doesn't mean you'll stay in the same house as them. It's a completely different issue because it takes two people to reconcile. And two people have to be changed and say sorry to come together. Forgiveness is different to justice and consequences. There may well be, I already said this, there may well be legal consequences of someone's actions. Their actions may well catch up on them. And to forgive them does not mean they are let off the hook in terms of justice or the consequences of their actions. If a burglar comes into your house, as they did whenever they did in my house, then I can forgive them because I want to be released of the pain that they caused me. But it doesn't mean to say that I wouldn't want to see them uh, prosecuted for what they did because what they did was wrong. And I don't want them to go do it to anybody else. And actually their life is not a wonderful life. Is that what we're having to do? And I want them to have a great life. But forgiveness is completely different to justice. 
Forgiveness is personal. Many people struggle with things that happen and struggle to move on because they assign the pain and fault to an institution or an organisation or a ministry. So it's the, the school or the college or my work or the government or whoever else. But actually, you forgive people. Nobody's ever been hurt by the church. They've been hurt by people in the church. The church didn't hurt, and unless you, I know the church is the people, but you understand me, it's like not somebody hurt you. A person said something or didn't say something. Somebody acted in a certain way. It, that's the thing. It's not, oh yeah, those people. No, who was it? Who did it? Those are the people. It's always personal. Because it's a person who takes a decision. You might have been made redundant. Well, somebody made a decision for it. You might have been fired. Somebody made a decision about it. Forgiveness is a process. Sometimes we've lived with pain for many years and God does not expect us to deal with it in a few minutes. It's a process, a journey, peeling back the layers of pain and hurt. When we are wronged and wounded and injured, we have a sense that the perpetrators want to, somebody's got to pay this price, which is why we want to find out who, who to blame. We want to know who's going to pay the price for what happened, who will pay the wrong for what was done to me. The author Tim Keller wrote this. There's another option, however. You can forgive. Forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. However, to refrain from lashing out at someone when you want to do so with all your being is agony is a form of suffering. And the next one, you are absorbing the debt. You are taking the cost of it on yourself instead of taking it out on the other person. It hurts terribly. Many people say it's a kind of death. Yes, but it's a death that leads to resurrection instead of the lifelong living death of bitterness and cynicism. In Luke 23, 24, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And he definitely hadn't done anything wrong. Forgiveness is an extremely powerful tool in our healing. I would go so far as to say that without learning how to forgive, it will be impossible to write a new story in your life. And I phrase that very particularly, without learning. Forgiveness is a skill. It's actually a skill that you learn. It's also a very simple skill to learn once you kind of strip it back. You see, remember I said that blame isn't really the issue. It's a question we answer to work out another answer to another question, which is who will pay because we have an inbuilt sense of justice and righteousness that says if somebody caused pain, somebody must pay. We, we've got this kind of equilibrium thing going on. Somebody hurts us, somebody's got to pay. And of course, that's not a wrong thought because the Bible is underpinned by that thought. The whole of the words underpinned by that thought. But the Bible also, of course, gives us answers. Because central to forgiveness is understanding that somebody bears the cost of the wound. And forgiveness in the Jesus way is to choose to bear the cost of the wound or the hurt or the injury. We choose to no longer blame ourselves or God or them. We simply let go of all that. We release our desire to blame. We release our desire to know why. We step out of those cul-de-sacs. We admit that it happened. It was painful. We were hurt but we choose to forgive, knowing that we have been forgiven by the Father in exactly the same way. The wonderful thing is that because of the debt and price Jesus paid, we're able also to have our pain dealt with. The fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sins that did it to him. 
that ripped and tore and crushed him. He took the punishment that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. You see, the price has already been paid. You don't need to blame anybody else because they don't need to pay the price. And you don't need to blame yourself because you don't need to pay the price because somebody already paid it. That's the incredible, beautiful, wonderful, amazing thing about Jesus is that the price has already been paid. And what you do when you blame everybody else and want them to pay, or you blame yourself because you want to pay, you basically say, God, I'm going to pay this price. But he's already done it for you. And when you try and pay the price yourself, all you do is hurt yourself or somebody else. But Jesus went, I've already paid it. Why, why are you paying a bill that no longer exists? I've paid it. There is no bill any longer. The thing is, the pain on the inside of you that you feel, that you express in blaming yourself or the people, it's wrapped up often in unforgiveness or in, or in, or in blame. And, and what you have to do to be able to be released from that pain is you have to unlock the gates of it, which is what forgiveness does and what stopping blaming does. It unlocks the gates so that you can be healed of your pain. Now, forgiveness. Forgiveness is very, very simple. It is a choice of your will. Yeah. That's all it is. I've sat with people and it's taken them like 15, 20 minutes to say, I forgive so-and-so. And I'm, you know, at the 20-minute mark, I'm like, okay. Because it's, it's just a phrase. Somehow we want to feel it, we want to know it, we want to... And of course, we have these big fights in our heads about it, but actually, you can, it's just a word that you can say. You don't have to feel anything, you just have to make a decision of your will that goes, I'm going to choose not to blame and I'm going to choose not to forgive. It really is that easy. I know, right now for some of you there's a huge fight in your head about it, which is why I prayed at the beginning, because you're going to beat that fight. And all you have to do is just literally, in fact, I'm going to give you some paper to write it on. Because some of you need to write it out. We're going to have a bit of time together. Can you be passing those papers out, Margaret, while I just carry on? Where are we? So forgiveness, it's a choice of the will. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's a conscious decision. In the same way that you go, I'm going to have soup for tea, you go, I'm going to forgive so-and-so. It literally is that simple. We don't need to make it a big thing. But, it, but it's something only you can do. I can't do it. Nobody can do it for you. I can't open those gates. We forgive a person. We absorb the debt, the price of what they did. We choose not to throw blame around. We choose not to blame ourselves. So... We don't ask God to help us forgive. We don't tell God we want to forgive. We just choose to forgive. Yeah. And when we forgive and we can release the pain of Jesus, we ask the Holy Spirit to take the pain away that's been caused. And he does. And then we thank him and bless him because he's a God who offers a divine exchange.